Welcome to the Jay and Pav podcast experience. Please grab a coffee, set down your marking, and embark on this playful, fun, yet genuine listening experience on education. Listening to Che Cheney and Pav Wanda, also known as Jim Guy and Wonder Woman. Welcome to the staff room, a half hour to engage in some meaningful conversation about some of the topics we think are pertinent and relevant to our day to day teaching experience. The Staff Room Podcast episodes are hosted by Voice Ed Radio Weekly on Tuesday mornings. And on Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern, we host The Drive, an educational morning radio show filled with great chatter and amazing music. Check out The Staff Room on the School Rubric website, where our origin story and weekly articles are posted, and our podcast can also be heard. We are also on the On Podcast Media Network and are connected to an amazing group of educators who have come together to form the Education Never Dies team. You can find us all on Twitter. Check out our link tree on our Twitter handle, at Staff Podcast, for more information about us. All right, so let's dive right in to episode 38 today. We are doing quite a bit of reflecting on this past week and some of the events that have occurred, and it's going to be a really great conversation, so I think it's a great idea to just dive right into it. Before we do, I'd like to spend a little bit of time introducing ourselves. My name is Pav. I often go by Wonder Woman, and I'm here with my co-host, Che, who is going to introduce himself. And today I'll simply go with, I am Che Hurricane Cheney, also known as Jim Guy A. <laughs> but today uh, is a day to be really reflective and um, to really just sort of put our thoughts together, really sort of state how we're feeling, how we're doing, how we're teaching. This has been a wild year from COVID-19 to remote learning and now to some very heartbreaking incidents in the United States, which of course is not solely uh, reflective of the United States culture. There are things that it really impacts and resonates here in Canada where it just makes us stop heavy hearted and just sort of say, this isn't the time to be the hurricane. This is a time to be reflective, to be vulnerable, to, to know where I'm at, to know where you're at, and then really plan a course of action. And we've always known the strength of our podcast is we're two teachers that talk about what happens in the moment, and that's where it has its value, and things have happened this week, and so we use our voice, we have this platform, and it would be erroneous to not talk about it, to just push on, and so we will talk about this really renewed reawakening to to, for, to force or to place our energies 
on real anti-racist education, real anti-racist work, because perhaps we had sort of fooled ourselves into think that we were going along nicely in the right path and things were improving. And then you have these world-shaking events that bring you right back to reality to know thing, things aren't okay. And so the mood of this episode is really a somber one and a reflective one. And that's that's where we're at right now. We want to talk about what is going on. You know, our hearts have certainly been very heavy this week and for so many reasons, you know, starting with the the death of George Floyd, it really was a very impactful moment in in the world and you know, we we are still living through this change of a course in in what's happening in the world and and we're all engaging in lots of reflection and I think the point of this episode is to continue that reflection and to continue that conversation to not only think about, you know, what have we been doing in the past, but where do things need to change and flip and what do we need to continue to do in the future, not only as educators, but as citizens of this world and citizens of, you know, a place where we need to be using our voices to take some sort of action. And so, you know, we've, we've discussed a lot of this with many other people in our professional learning networks, um, on Twitter, on Voxer, with our colleagues in, in many different ways. And we felt that it was indeed very necessary to spend a little bit of this time, not only here on the Staff Room podcast, but on the drive on Voice Ed Radio, our morning show, a radio show where we engaged in a lot of powerful conversation regarding the same topic, but to, you know, take a look at, okay, this is where things are. These are events that have happened. This is how things stand. What do we do now going forward in the future to, to make some sort of a significant change so that we don't have to endure these kinds of tragedies again in the future. If our world is failing, then our teaching is failing. Yes, I agree. And you're right. The drive this morning was probably for a very fun, relaxed uh, teacher place to connect and share. It, I, I don't want to say it was tense. It was important. It was intentional. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing we have with our with our podcast today is that it's intentional right now where it's not necessarily just as free flowing because we have to be, don't have to be, we want to be really reflective. I think the first thing we want to talk about is voice. Um, we have a platform, we have an audience. And although I'm a white male and you're a brown female, our voice is not necessarily the most important voice, or and it can't be the dominant voice, but our voice has to be part of the equation, has to be part of the solution, has to be part of the process. One of the things we've been doing some reading on is the understanding that to not use this platform to talk about what's going on is inherently privilege, and that's the systemic issues we need to worry about. We have a platform. We have an audience. It is time to speak and reflect. And we're not necessarily the experts. In fact, we're not the experts. Our voice isn't the most important voice, but we can't be silent and not acknowledge a variety of things, whether it be our privilege, whether it be our insights, whether it be our experiences. The only way we will make substantial change or be impactful is to truly be reflective, self-aware, and honest what we are in part of the, uh, the, the solution. And so the first thing we want to talk about is just being aware that our voice has an important part to play 
and we needed to share and we needed to reflect and we needed to be vulnerable. And perhaps as this conversation evolves, we'll see some more of our weaknesses or we'll gain some further insight. But I think, Pav, you and I wanted to talk about the understanding that we understood that with a podcast that prides itself on having authentic, real talk every week, it was really important to continue the conversation on the things that mattered. And this mattered. And we're not necessarily in our wheelhouse. We're not necessarily um, overflowing with expertise and confidence. Does that mean you shy away from the conversation? I guess it's easy to shy away from the conversation, but the easiness is a re- is a reflection of that 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 the, the the privilege to be able to say this is this is too tough, so I can walk away. Yeah, and that key word that you are using in in your statements there is is privilege. We we have the privilege. We've we haven't been given this privilege. We've worked hard for it, but the fact that we have it means that we have an ability to not only amplify our voice, but amplify the voices of the people that we have spoken to in this past week. It does require a huge amount of vulnerability because we do have to admit to everybody who listens to us, everybody that we engage with, that we are indeed not the experts here. We are indeed not the people who know every answer to everything, but none of us do. None of us are. We, we do as much uh, research as we possibly can. We talk to as many people as we possibly can. We read as many books, articles, blogs, uh, reflections, listen to people on their podcasts and listen to things that other people have to say so that we can gain as much perspective as possible. But then we bring that out to a potential audience, uh, a potential group of people who are going to not just listen to our perspectives, because it's not just our perspective that we are bringing here to this microphone today. It is the perspective of hundreds of people that we have spoken to and all of their voices being heard and, you know, acknowledged and listened to. And we're putting this information that we have gained out there for everybody to hear and then to then be able to use. So nothing that we do is necessarily performative here. This is not just in order to gain anything from. This is something that we feel that we need to be able to do in order to move the conversation forward and to continue because that conversation part is very important in terms of building on action moving forward. So Our voice is important. Our platform is important because it allows us the ability to be able to amplify everybody's voice in regards to this very, very, very necessary conversation. To be a better anti-racist teacher, which is going to inherently make me more in tune with my class, better serve my, my kids and build better capacity for my students in my community. My voice is important, but what becomes more important is valuing giving, uh, not even giving, it's not mine to give, it's to make sure that I am receptive to everyone else's voice. Uh, As a teacher, I have to make those extra efforts to make sure every voice is heard in my class, and a voice isn't necessarily someone speaking up. Their voice is their culture, their heritage, their roots, and making sure those things are reflective in everything I do and everything that's in my my classroom and everything that's uh, available for a reading material. Your voice isn't always just how you speak. Your voice is so much more than that. And as a teacher, and, and to be more in tune with that anti-racist work, I have to make sure that I am a part of um, an environment that really cherishes, values, 
allows students to share their voice. You know, what's so important is, uh, you know, bringing up the fact that the students in our classroom or the people that we speak to that are, you know, um, systemically marginalized. Yes, those voices are are extremely important and, and, and I would deem more important in this time right now. Um, but a very, very equally important part of that conversation is the voices of the non-marginalized. Because I think that the, um, the, the sort of closing up that happens from people who feel a certain way, but are too intimidated to speak their, their thoughts and speak their feelings, you know, that sort of, uh, closes up the conversation because if you are staying silent about things that you might believe or things that, you know, you might've grown up with or your inherent biases, though that, that needs to come out as part of the conversation. And, um, so that we can work to un- unpack all of these important topics and we can begin to unlearn things that might have been taught to us um, generation to generation to generation because we know that this is something that is not new. This is the systemic racism that has been occurring in our communities it goes back generations. And so in order to be able to bring all of those events and all of those topics to the table, we, we have to be able to create a safe enough environment to be able to hear the voices of the marginalized and also be open and vulnerable enough to be able to hear the voices of the non-marginalized. Because sometimes people are too intimidated to speak up about the things that they believe and they feel like they are going to be um, attacked or, you know, they feel like this is something where I, I cannot speak up because... I don't feel like I would have the backing of the people that are around me. So creating those safe environments is absolutely necessary. And so that's something that we continue as educators and as podcasters and radio hosts to try to be able to do in our environments. I've really become even more aware of how dominating and booming my white male voice is even when I don't speak, mm-hmm. uh, I do have a very boisterous voice. And, and I had the luxury, I guess, of being allowed to give that voice. And very few people will often question me. And you start to reflect more so as like how much is just a beneficiary of privilege and how much work like in this particular situation. But as an expansion of all, I have to realize that my voice is the historical dominant voice and even when i'm speaking or not there's it still weighs down on people what my voice would be or what my voice can impact and it's really made me very reflective in making sure that if part of the class process or part of any discussion is making sure that other people's voice are welcome and then understanding that i may be an intimidating factor just because i'm in a space and i have to really work on toning that down per se. I don't even say, want to say work. I just need to be aware. My voice has to be part of the conversation. But in this conversation, my voice is not the most important part. I have to make sure that I am part of people feeling comfortable to share their voice. And then I have to be, Pav, I see you want to jump in. I also have to be ready to, to really listen and engage with what people are saying. I, you know, what you're, what you're saying is so important. And I, and I agree a hundred percent that, uh, that we have to be aware of our of our privileges when we speak. But we also, you know, just speaking from the other side of things, I think that everybody has to be respect, res- receptive 
of all the other voices. And we sort of have to, you know, vulnerability, I, I keep coming back to it because it's, it's very, very important in this, in this conversation. We have to, um, even remind ourselves that yes, this person in the room might, um, a- appear to be the dominant voice in this group, but all of the voices here are equal right now because you might be coming from a place of privilege and there might be somebody sitting next to you who is not coming from a point, a place of privilege, but both of your, um, the things that you have to say, both of your opinions, both of your biases, both of your, uh, the, you know, the conversation that you bring to the table and and the things that we have to discuss have equal importance. And so I, you know, I do remind everybody that in during this conversation, yes, there are going to be groups of non-marginalized people that are going to be bringing things to the table and bringing things to the conversation, but there is no hierarchy when we are in a safe place. There is no hierarchy of voice when we are in a place of vulnerability, where we feel like we can actually say the things that we want to be able to say. There is zero high. Everybody is on a level playing field when it comes to that. And so we have to be able to listen to everybody's voice equally so that nobody feels like they need to hold back. Nobody is hesitant. Everybody can speak honestly and openly, and we can work through the pain because there will be pain in the beginning of this conversation. It will not be an easy conversation, but we can work through that pain and get past it. And it won't be a one conversation stop. You know, it's going to be multiple conversations over and over and over again. And something that we will have to keep coming back to with lots of reflecting and lots of processing, but it's something that we have to keep revisiting because until everybody is on that safe and open playing field, we won't get any progress if anybody feels like they have to hold back on the things that they need to say. As you're talking, um, I'm thinking about so many of our staff meetings and it makes you just pause for a second. We teach in a highly diverse community for visible minorities. It's the population is going to be 96, 97, 98%, but a very multicultural community. Toronto, it's one of the most multicultural cities in the world. And we teach in one of the most multicultural sections of our city. It is a blessing to be able to be to be in a position where you can just see the vibrancy of how cultures can synergize together and, and work together because there's so many positives in that environment. Our staff is also very reflective of that. Maybe um, when we talk about staff allocations, probably higher percentage white that, than our uh, community would dictate, but certainly it's not an overwhelmingly white staff. It is, it is a very multicultural, but I thought of it when we talked about these conversations because we've had lots of these tense conversations and there has been a lot of angst and when you talked about having those safe space, I wonder in our staff, where most of us have all taught together for a long period of time, do we really have that? And as you were saying that, I'm thinking, no, we we don't. People get really angry, and you can see the nervousness when people are talking because they're not sure um, how their voice is going to be heard or anticipated, and it often leads to a lot of the sort of superficial anger or outbursts because people are just are not in a place where they are comfortable to speak. So there's real work to do with your staff. Even thinking of your staff, we started with students, but we're venturing off your staff. 
is there's a lot of work to make your staff comfortable. It's not so easy as just building some culture, building some kindness, and everyone's going to feel safe to speak in those environments. Our school's highly diverse. Our staff's highly diverse. But when we have these courageous conversations, they are often very tense. And you can often, as you were talking about, I was thinking, yeah, our staff is tense. You can see where people aren't all that comfortable uh, voicing their opinions and, and what's going on on these particular issues. I think it's because when we are in a school environment, we tend to compartmentalize everything that we do in, in the building, right? Like there's a time for a staff meeting. There is a time for when we are in our classrooms, there's a lunchtime and you don't talk about the issues during lunchtime because that's your own time. Everything is compartmentalized. And so when we come to the table during a 45 minute or 90 minute or however long minute your staff meeting is going to be, and you're, you're forced to have these conversations yeah, they're going to start with anger. They, they are always going to start with anger and they are always going to start with tenseness. But the point of these conversations is to continue to have them so that we can work past those moments so that we can get through. Yes, because it's necessary to get through the tense parts first. Um, and then to continue that conversation, okay, well, well, we got through that. We've processed all of our anger. We've discussed all of it. We've spoken our truths to one another and, uh, we've let out, you know, where all of the angst comes from, but now what? We have to continue the conversation. We can't just stop at anger. We can't just stop at this is what you have and I don't have, or this is what I have and you don't have. And, and then just stop there because the action doesn't come from that. We have to work through that. We have to have a resolution between us and to make ourselves get to that level playing field where each of our voices feels equally valued. And I think that that's where most of the conversation stops within society, within adults, within educators, within so many people who are capable of having these conversations, but we just become so fearful of the conflict and of the anger that, that we stop at that. And we, then we try not to work forward. We stop at the emotion. Yes. We talked about our voice. Then we talked about sort of staff voice, a little bit of student voice, but part of, of hearing voice is also reaching out and, and getting voice from people you might not know but are experts, yeah. whether you're listening to podcasts, whether you're reading articles and blogs, whether you're reading books, like I can, I know I'm very well versed in courageous conversations and not solely because I decided to, our board is also very good at, at, at anti-racist work. And from a very early on, they really uh, stressed the courageous conversations pedagogy. So I'm, I'm very comfortable in, in how it functions and how it works and adopting it to my school. When I think of my teaching, I've been very open with my middle schoolers about my white privilege for a long time, that those conversations have always been rich. But like in this moment, I realized that I needed a little reawakening. Like when this was all happening uh, this week, I went back to Courageous Conversations to read through it again and then took the efforts as, as you took efforts and other people took efforts and people shared resources to also find a voice of an expert, find a voice from somewhere else to sort of connect to my emotions, whether it's reading the skin we're in or how to be an anti-racist or refreshing on courageous conversation or diving into other uh, podcasts of, of other people we know that really have a little bit more expertise or a little bit more studied. It then connects that 
their voice now connects to my emotional understanding of a situation, and then I can add some some pedagogy to it. I can add some statistics to it. I can add some understanding to why I'm feeling this way or appreciate why someone else is feeling this way. And so when you say the conversation sort of stops there, it stops there because it's just fixated on emotion. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I was reading and going through when I was reading through actually um, the skin we're in was the understanding that there's a, there's a real important spot for statistics. You need to look things up. And if you're not willing to look things up, the quote was this, and it's, sorry, it's not direct from the text, it's direct from uh, Desmond Cole, the author, on a podcast saying, if you're not willing to look through stats, this inherently is a, a byproduct of privilege. Because if, if we really are meaningful and impactful on our anti-racist desire, we will look up everything because we will see essential trends. And why is this important? Well, it comes back to our schools, comes back to these emotional conversations. When I think of courageous conversation, it fixates on the emotion, the dialogue, the discourse. But when we, if I gave an example of just thinking about conversation, if we're talking about our black boys being underserviced in our school, that they're getting more referral rates, or they're having the lower grades, or they're having to write the most behavior journals, yes. But the, the, the next step from this conversation to correcting it or solving it or really diving deep is now to start collecting data. At what point? At what time? Um, so are we establishing that um, we're sending black boys down to the office more often at lunchtime, per se? Or what grades are they coming from? Or what um, details do we need to look at? So when we're talking about that voice, as I sort of ramble a little bit, the voice was now reaching out to other sources that give you a little bit more guidance on how to take those emotional conversations in your school and direct them somewhere. And the emotions got to come to data and, and seeking that data and researching and finding out exactly in our buildings who is being marginalized, where are we leaving kids at, where is the biggest issues so that we can directly um, impact and make change. So uh, anecdotally, I'll agree, we, we black boys in our school are writing more behavior journals than anyone else. But now I want a little bit more in-depth detail so that when we talk in emotion, we can add the stats, we can add the data, and then really push ourselves forward to what we want to do to make a change. It's tough to facilitate meaningful, sustainable change when we're solely speaking on our emotions. And so back to the section on voice, it's my voice, it's your voice, it's looking out for other people's voices that are experts and have um, all kinds of insights that we can bring back to our conversation and then connect it back to some statistics, some data. Let's really dig deep to make impactful, sustainable change. It's, uh, you know, what you're talking about right here is moving from theory to practice. And we've got lots of theory behind us now. We've got lots of information. We've got lots of resources. We've got lots of professionals. We've got lots of experts that can help us with the theory part of things. Where we need a lot of guidance is on the practicality. What does it look like when we bring this back to our schools and try to actual, actually make meaningful change? So yes, we've had the conversations. We've had the equity department from the board come in and present and really amazing presentations to start guiding the conversation on the direction that it needs to go. So like we've moved past this, this, the emotion 
And we've realized that what we really need to do now is take a look at the data as you talked about and unpack it all and to see exactly what is causing, what is, what is triggering different behaviors, where, what times of day it might be happening, how often it is happening. Um, and maybe, maybe we need to take a look at the environments. Maybe we need to look at, take a look at the peers. Maybe we need to take a look at mentorship. Maybe we need to take a look at, you know, how many males are there in the school? How many females are there in the school? And I'm not just talking about students. I'm talking about, you know, the educators that are in the school who are going to be able to impact students in different ways. You know, these are all things that we have to take a look at. There are so many different moving parts to how this works in a school setting. And so how do we start to impact that? It starts with the conversation and then we move it along with the data and then we use practical strategies that, that come from theory, um, but also come from experience in other places around the world where things have been tried and, you know, we want to try some of the similar things. And then we, we work together to try and figure out what changes are we going to make to the different, um, the different things that impact the data that we have now impact or that we have now unpacked and how are we going to start to make those changes in the classrooms, in the places where we are working intimately with these students so that we can start to see some of that change start to happen. And we don't start continue to see the same statistics continue year after year after year in our buildings. I, I love that we bring it back to Give me something to use in my room tomorrow. Give me three strategies. Give me three tools. Give me three resources. Give me three things. Walk through my room and, and tell me three things that are inherently uh, discriminating uh, people or, you know, burying their voice. Tell me that my classroom library needs some work. Come in and say, we need this type of text. You need this type of text. Um, that's what I, I want, those takeaways. And I know in other episodes we talked about I don't need immediate takeaways, and I don't always need immediate takeaways, but when something's really good and something's really powerful, I can adjust tomorrow morning when you give me a great resource. And so it's right, as teachers, we, we appreciate the theory. We love the conversation, but we also are looking for and want you to give me something really valuable. I'm going to work to try to create something myself, but when you can give me two or three immediate things I can use in my room or things to look for in my room, whether it be my displays, whether it be the posters on my room, what is it saying? What voice is it sharing? Do I have anything about gender identity? Like the, uh, There's so many things that I think I'm aware of, that I'm going through my room, but sometimes just going through that right PD through this process which is going to lead us to our next part, this process. It doesn't come quickly. When I come to my room, give me something I can use in my room because I want to use it. I want to adapt it. And certainly right now I'm in my place and although it's remotely and I'm still teaching, I would still take a tool. I would still take a great lesson that I could look through and say, yes, oh, this would, this would really enhance what I'm trying to do. This would really, this is what I'm trying to get at, but I wasn't sure how to get there. Um, and so as teachers, part of all of this process is the end of your conversation, the end of the feedback, at the end of the data, what are three things that I could do in my room? Not that I need those things to totally dictate what I'm doing in my room. I'm not looking necessarily for a guide in the sense that a step-by-step -step guide, but I want a little bit something to help me evolve as an educator in my room, as a teacher in my room. I think that so many teachers get hung up on, um, on the starting point. So I think that's such a key thing that you said there that, you know, that we want a few takeaways that we can take and we can put in, implement into our classrooms the very next day. And it doesn't have to be a hundred things. 
it can become very overwhelming when we are trying to reestablish what a safe community and a place for real uh, learning to be happening in our classroom. It can be very, very overwhelming. Well, I got to revamp my entire classroom library. I got to start in embedding, um, you know, real history in my curriculum and uh, unpacking all of these textbooks. I don't have any resources anymore. Where do I go now to get the information that I need? This can be very, very overwhelming. I think the key thing that we're trying to say is pick one or two or three small things that you can try in your classroom the very next day. And now that school is, you know, at this moment over for many people, start thinking about one or two or three things that you can implement on the very first day of school when we are starting up again. And how do we embed this conversation into everything that we do into our curriculum and outside of the curriculum and, you know, just in our school environment so that this doesn't become a compartmentalized topic that we discuss only at staff meetings or only at particular PD sessions, that this is something that's always working through our community in as teachers, but also what we do with our students on a day-to-day basis as well. I think that pace and understanding that this is going to be long work is important to move forward. And, and we want more immediacy and we want to make Institute greater change right away and have more impact right away. But the sustainability really is highlighted that we need pace um, this is going to be long work, tough work. Um, we probably felt like we were all pretty comfortable and it's a very heartbreaking and a very rude awakening to the work we were doing just wasn't good enough. As we said, if our society is failing, our teaching is failing. And I know that's a grand statement and it's probably, um, over the top, but that over the top really makes me focus on, wait a second, um, is the work I was doing in my class really as good as I thought it was? Is it really as impactful as I thought it was? Was I really um, making sure everyone's voice was being heard? Was I dominating too much? And like I said, I'm, I'm well read in Courageous Conversation. And I've always been very open with being white, understanding privilege, communicating this with my students um, in a very diverse community. These type of Courageous Conversations have actually, I've always found one of the foundations of my room. But... In probably the last week, it's unraveled a little bit. I, I don't feel as confident. I don't feel like I was doing as good a work as I should have. Um, and so if I've gained anything in this just last week is just making sure I am refining myself. I'm going back to listen to other voices, building beyond the, the, the sources I did have to embrace a little bit more sources and understandings and ideas because... I'm going to, I, for my, for me to function as a teacher, to drive myself forward, I believe in that statement. If my world is failing, then my teaching is failing. It drives me forward to come back to my room to want to be better. And so my first thing is I have to absorb, this is going to be a long process. This is going to take some pace. And I'm able to say this, or I feel comfortable saying this because we are still teaching. And so as all this sort of really exploded in the United States and issues in Canada as well, um, especially in Toronto, um, over the weekend, I, I, I got ready for Monday. Like I like as the teacher, I, oh, I got resources. I got an article. I got some clips. I'm going to spur some emotion. We're going to generate really great conversation and we're really going to be impactful. Not for the first time. Wouldn't be the first time I've done it in my class. We've had these courageous conversations um, before. So I had to just sort of, this would be an extension in the remote world. I had an idea of where we would be by Tuesday, where we 
would be by Wednesday. We were going to just really on a dime pivot and really get really focused on this. And that's when I sort of dawned on this idea of pace because I had kids that had great ideas and great insights. Then I had some kids, and then I had a couple of kids that didn't know anything was going on. And I, I felt myself at first, like, how are you not going on? And then I doubled back. I said, well, wait a second. How come I'm the teacher? How come my kids aren't interested in this? How come my kids haven't picked up on this? And then I sort of said, well, I'm, I'm going to start with what I know I can correct, which is my teaching practice, because I want my kids to be more in tune with what's going on in the world around them. And if two or three of them couldn't, didn't absorb it, then I, it's not for me to blame that 14-year-old shame upon me. I'm going to eat that sandwich. That's on me. And there's probably a lot of other factors, but a good driving factor for me is to put that blame on my shoulders and say, I want to make sure my kids are more in tune with what's going on around them, uh, seeing injustices and really be passionate about making a change. But on the grander scale, I realize there's a certain pace, there's a certain time frame to make sure we're all building forward. And although I had two or three students that were right on the ball, had their passion, had their fire, had their outrage. Collectively, we weren't there to sort of turn the class, the, the activity the next day to start devising impact plans or this. We had to get the whole class. There's a little bit of pace. It just reminded me, anti-racist work is really important work. It doesn't come in one day. It's not the byproduct of two super lessons where you change the world. It is going to take time. It's about refining your practice and all the subtle subtleties along with all the great lessons. Yeah, um, you, you said so many important things there that I don't know what to touch on first. I think the pacing is, is key. Introducing this early on with your group is key. Um, what I think that we also need to be a little bit mindful of right now is the fact that we are not together. And there is power in... Um, in groups. There's comfort in groups. And right now we have no groups because everybody is sitting individualized in front of their own screens in their own homes. And there's nobody for us to be able to bounce ideas off of. Um, when we think back to what our classrooms look like and we're doing some sort of an impactful, uh, talk or lesson, or we're discussing things, or we're just, you know, sitting together as a family and having a family discussion, we're together. And we're able to feed off of each other's answers. We're able to feed off of each other's body language. We're able to feed off of so many things. And we're able to say, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, my, um, my peer over here said something that I agree with and I'm, and I'm close enough in proximity to be able to engage in conversation here. But when we were sitting in front of our own screens and we were so detached from that community feeling that sometimes is, it's very difficult to engage in. So in my reflections of, you know, why didn't my lessons go well this week or why was there very little impact? I have to take into consideration that students are very detached from everything right now because they have been in their rooms, in their homes, and they're not able to, you know, be in a community feeling, in a community setting with their peers and with their teachers and with other people in a building where we're sitting together and we're, we're having this discourse, you know, in, in that salon sort of fashion where we're going back and forth and learning from each other because that back and forth is easy when you're sitting in the same room, but it's very difficult and it's very different when you're not sitting in the same room and you can't feed off of that energy. So I think not to, you know, take away the limelight from the important issues here. 
I think it does impact things that we are, we're not able to engage in the ways that we want to engage in. And so it's not that I'm making excuses for students not being engaged. Um, and, and I'm definitely not making excuses for the teachers who have been bringing these conversations to the classroom and maybe not getting the response that they desired, but, but that's part of the work, isn't it? That's part of the work. And now we have this additional challenge of being able to reach our students when we're, they're not sitting directly in front of us. How are we going to be able to do that? Because it's not for us to say that, okay, well, we'll just do this when we're back in the classroom together. No, we still have to have these conversations, especially if we don't know what teaching is going to look like when schools reopen again. Um, so it's not like we can pause things. We can't pause, put a pause on this conversation. We have to be able to engage. So how do we reach our students in a different way, in a different, more meaningful way where they feel like their voices are being heard and being recognized and they have the ability to communicate with their peers at the same time? The complexities are, is that there's no one reason for anything. No. There's always multiple reasons exactly. and they intertwine each other. We just love to... Um, Put everything linearly and sometimes that's beneficial for me like i understand that my kids weren't as engaged for a variety of reasons and yeah. and not even negative reasons a variety of reasons but for for me as a teacher to drive myself forward to propel myself forward it was easy convenient i don't know it was just something i'll just put this on myself i'm going to eat this sandwich and say i need to do something a little better and it, there's you're right there's going to be lots of other factors but we as teachers we often we 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 drop ourselves down to simple missions, simple statements to propel ourselves forward, regardless of necessarily how accurate they are. Mm -hmm. um, it's been a great talk. Yeah, I agree. It's been deep and meaningful and timely. And I think it was important that we had this discussion today. As teachers, it, this all, everything, I just call it the reawakening. You know, I've got 20 years of experience in a community that's highly marginalized. If I went through the sort of stereotypical checklist of everything I've dealt with as an individual homeroom teacher, it's an extensive list and, and it builds some confidence, uh, builds some expertise. I'm usually not ever really on my toes um, about a situation or feeling I'm, I'm not providing the best possible teaching. But certainly the last week, has really, I don't know want necessarily want to say rattle, but maybe it has rattled. It's really had me fulfilling a lot of the things we talked about, really making sure I am really in tune with student voice and not solely just how they're speaking, everything about it, a lot of reflection, really going out to find other sources beyond the sources I was sort of already comfortable with. Sometimes you come complacent with a source because it's like a workout. You come complacent with your workout. You need to mix up your workout to get a better a better workout. Whether the workout is better or not is not really the, the issue. So going out to find other sources on... Uh, anti-racist education, anti-racist pedagogy, other podcasts that give me fresh insight. And sometimes it's just saying the same things, but differently is really, I, I want to say it, I needed that awakening. And I feel really good now, not because of what's going on in the world, but I feel good that I've been given just the push I needed to propel my teaching forward, to be more valuable in my school, to be more valuable in my classroom. And so this has been a great day in the sense that in the whole cog of the process, we had a voice. We had the radio the show this morning that was a really powerful radio show, not because our voice was more important, but we had a platform and we were able to engage in the conversation, which is part of the solution. And we were able to continue it here. We didn't even go to our three enlightened minutes because we just felt that this conversation between two teachers, this is staff room talk. This is raw, back and forth, back and forth, no stopping, no editing, no fact checking. This is the way, and fact checking is important. 
But in the context of this podcast, that real authentic talk, how teachers absorb, how teachers think, how they see their surroundings, I think we've been very authentic to the topic. Um, And I've learned a lot just preparing. I've learned a lot this week. And it's really important to know teachers of 20, 25 years experience, you can, you don't get too complacent. I almost felt like I just got a little complacent and I probably hadn't thought about that. I'm still really energetic. I'm still really groove and I push, but I just felt like I need, all of a sudden I've been reawakened to the really subtleties of really in-depth, rich anti-racist education and anti-racist teaching. I think uh, the that whole reawakening part, I think that, you know, you're not the only one that feels that way. I think that many of us felt that shock of complacency in the past couple of years of our teaching. Maybe, you know, you just kind of you sit back and you say, you know, I, I, I admit, yes, I have not been doing all of the work that I could have been doing in this time. And so now there, there's nothing wrong with saying, OK, it's time to do the work. You know, there's nothing wrong in saying that, you know, that the radio show this morning and this episode right here was very cathartic because it offered us a a way for us to discuss all of the things that are on our mind and sort of wrap everything that's happened in this past week into a ball and say, here, here is everything that we have been feeling. Here is the basis of so much of our conversation this week. This is what we're discussing. This is what we're talking about. You know, how are we going to be able to apply this to our classrooms? Because ultimately, you know, it was a grand statement, but it's a correct statement. The things that we are doing in our classroom are impacting our society. And so if society is failing, then we need to reflect back on our practice and say, where are the changes going to happen in our practice so that our society doesn't fail us any further? So I think that it was a very necessary conversation. I think it was a very, all of the conversations we've had this week have been very meaningful and very helpful in us being able to figure out what we need to do next. And so I, I'm very thankful for that. And I'm very appreciative of the fact that we have the privilege of this microphone sitting in front of us so that it gives us a reason, a really good reason to delve into conversations and to engage with people and to do our own research and to do our due diligence, making sure that the things that we are speaking about are relevant to the people who are listening and the relevant and the relevancy carries on to the classrooms that we are in as well. So Yes, very, very important conversation, very passionate conversation. And I think um, the depth of it all has really affected all of us as educators and as as a society. And so I think it's been it's been phenomenal. You don't want to take. uh, I don't want to say don't want to take the chance. We all have to be a part of the process. And maybe your voice doesn't have to be heard today, but your voice has to be part of the process. Um, and, And. I always love the fact the ability to sit back and say, I'm not going to jump into the conversation is privilege in and of itself. And we've heard the comment like edu celebrities, and we are not edu celebrities, but it was a few conversations I heard about people sort of talking about edu celebrities having to take a stance that just reminded me the value and, and the privilege we have to have a radio show, to have a podcast with a really loyal, very supportive audience that allows us to be authentic and vulnerable. And we needed to to speak this is this is for us it's cathartic but it's also really it should ideally inspire people to also jump in and get into the conversation if you weren't in the conversation to dive in and jump in and i think that was our first point is every voice is important so get your voice out there 
Uh, and it, your voice doesn't always have to be you yelling and screaming, right? Or speaking emotionally. Your voice can be articulated in many different ways, whether it's a blog, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a painting, whether it's a poem, that's your voice that tells your story. And then we also talked about making sure we are receptive and open and listening and engaging with other people's voice and seeking out voices beyond just necessarily the emotional voice. We really want the emotional, the the well-read, the, the statistical voice. We want to include all those voices in regards to how we're going to push ourselves forward. Uh, and then, of course, through gender and race and religion, we want to make sure we, get in, we are as well-rounded as we can, absorbing and listening to as many different voices as we can. And then I think from the voice part, we got back to our classroom. We want pace. We have to realize... This could be a slow process. We've had a little bit of a reawakening. Let's get back to the work. Let's continue it to work. That's right. So continue to you know seek the perspectives that are out there. Uh, take those perspectives and work them into who you are as a person. Work them into who you are as an educator. And let's continue, as you said, Shay, beautifully. Let's continue to do the work. Thank you for joining us today in the staff room. Inspire. Don't require. Always be a humble servant. And education never, never dies. dies. You've been listening to the Staff Room Podcast with Che and Pav. Written, performed and produced by Che Cheney and Pav Wanda in association with School Rubric, an online magazine and website designed for international and global educators. You can stay connected with Che and Pav by visiting their Twitter and Instagram pages. And also, check out their articles related to each episode on the School Rubric webpage. All links are provided in the episode write-up. The podcast is recorded weekly at their in-class studio and performed in front of a live studio audience. Be sure to join Che and Pav next week, because there's always something to talk about in the staff room.